0: Now is the time for the leader to qualify. For those listening to the podcast, please note that you can now attend the kitchen sink meeting via Zoom. Go to oalaig.org for login information. I am Ainsley, a compulsive overeater. It's, it's first I'd like to thank Vincent for asking me to speak. It's really funny how it seems to go in waves because I hadn't shared in a while and then I shared at the uh, Serenity Sunday like the week before last and I'm also in AA and I shared in an AA meeting on Monday, but whatever. Um, Yesterday was actually my natal birthday and I had a lovely day. I went for a hike with my son and that was a big deal. Um, Last year was one of the hardest years I have ever been through. It was just so difficult for me emotionally and um, I don't know how I would have made it through without the program, you know. So, I mean, I'm going to go into my story, but I mean, that I just have so much gratitude for this program and particularly for my sponsor. Um, I got a new sponsor when I was going through this and it was really tough. And, um, yeah, so I just wanted to start with the gratitude because I really am so filled with gratitude. So I was born in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, and it's so cute because there's somebody from Louisiana right next to me in the Hollywood Squares, <laughs> and uh, I was the youngest in a very large Catholic family, okay, so there I had five older brothers and an older sister who was substantially older, and my mom, my mom was British, she was like one of those war brides, and she, she w- had a lot of um mental illness. And, um, there was a lot of um stuff in the family <laughs> stuff man anyway um so um my sister, my mom ended up one of my my one of my brothers had childhood onset schizophrenia, which is, you know, quite severe. And he went to a Freudian analyst who then got my mother hooked on all these drugs. So that was part of it, you know, apart from her. I remember when I got a master's in uh, counseling and I took psychopharmacology, I'm like, my mother was on like every single drug. <laughs> it was crazy. Anyway, but so basically she was like lying down on her bed most of the day. So my sister kind of had charge of me. And my sister was bulimic. And this was a long time ago, you guys. Nobody knew about it. I certainly didn't. I was incredibly stupid. I'll tell you what happened. So she would take me on food runs, like, from the age of, like, four. So we'd hit the 7-Eleven, the K&B, and a couple of other stores. I don't remember what. So nobody would see how much junk food we were buying. You know, this just it just cracks me up because compulsive over always see this Who cares? You know, maybe they do. I doubt it. So uh, we would go buy all this junk food and then we'd come home and we would binge and we would eat it. But she was thin and I was fat. So, of course, being Catholic, I thought that was because God didn't like me because I was bad and evil and she was good. Never knew she was purging, which I'm really glad for because it's a whole other addiction. Having to let go of the purging. I mean, I I would identify as an exercise feeling, mate because many times in my life I was like really compulsive exerciser, um, but mostly I was a garden variety compulsive overeater, um, binging and gaining weight and losing weight. So I was a very hefty um, little girl. And I had, you know, all those older brothers. So I always, <laughs> I've shared on the kitchen seat before you probably already heard this story. But, you know, my song was said to the Superman song, able to eat a Whopper in a single bite, able to drink a 16-ounce Pepsi in a single gulp. It's fat girl. Yeah, so that was my song. So, um, yeah, and, you know, it's, it's hard. It's hard because it's an addiction that you wear in your body, right? Everybody can see it. And, uh, I mean, poor people when they're anorexic, but usually they're getting kudos unless they're, like, ready for the hospital, right? So, um, I, um, I, the first time that I lost weight was when I was 13. And I was, like, on this, like, crazy, crazy diet from the beginning. I remember I had this little red plastic, like, lunch pail. And I would have a boiled chicken breast and a piece of Pepperidge Farm white bread. I don't know why that. And I would take it to school, and I'd have that. And I don't think I would eat breakfast or dinner. I think that was all I ate all day. And then I would um, um, exercise all night. I remember my sister used to do those things, you know, where you walk on your butt down the hall. (laughs) And she got in this terrible car wreck and got all this money, and she bought a trampoline, so i jump on the trampoline, i do sit-ups. Like, anyway, so uh, that was, like, the first time I lost weight. And I did get – I never really got anorexic. I got kind of, like, borderline, you know, where the pediatrician was telling me to eat peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. Big mistake, you know. <laughs> it was all over that, right? Um, but, I mean – you know, from before I first—I remember just, just—I mean, food was just it for me. You know, um, I just—I remember I had this birthday party and I had just, just bowls of M and M's and stuff, and and I mean, it was all about the food. And I had a big family, so you really had to like, you know, get in there because they would take everything, especially like if we went for fast food, they would always oh, steal all the French fries anyway. So, um. That was that, and then I just started on this, like, all my life, gaining and losing and gaining and losing and hating my body, and another story that I tell is, um, so at some point in my life, I had moved to San Francisco, and I was working as a yoga teacher, so I was doing, like, six yoga classes a day. And I weighed about 110 pounds, and I remember this woman, like, stopping me on the street in the Marina District one time to ask if I was a weightlifter because my arms were so cut. And I remember going into the bathroom at yoga between teaching classes and looking down at my stomach and just the self-loathing I had for my body because I had this little stomach. So, you know, I mean, it's never enough. Yeah, it's it's just never enough, and I really had that body image distortion. And also, when I got my master's in counseling, I know I did um I did an internship in the it was this hospital. It was like was older people and eating disorders. But I remember we did this exercise with the anorexics where they had to take a tape measure and say how big they were, and it was like six feet bigger than they were. So they're you know that body dysmorphia anyway. So oh my god. All the times that I I lost and gained, I did everything. I did Nutrisystem. I did Weight Watchers multiple times. There was this doctor in Covington, I think it was. We would drive there and get shots. It was drugs, but, you know, we said it was vitamins. There were the diet clinics where it was like 600 calories, and we'd have little meetings, and they all loved it when I went on a binge. You know, it was crazy, and every time i would lose the weight then i would start eating again every time and it wasn't just that it's you know um because i'm an alcoholic too i mean the, the food is just it's so intimate because it's in your body it's so much harder because everybody really does need a different abstinence you know they really do and it's just so easy to get judgmental about it and like and I discussed this in a workshop the other day. You know, we were talking about people being really slipshod about their abstinence, and I'm I'm pretty pretty rigid with my abstinence. I have three meals a day. I have a variety of foods I don't eat. I send my food to my sponsor every night. But I've had like um so my, I'm I'm almost six years abstinent. August second, it'll be six years. You know. Biggest miracle ever. It's my third time sober. I got sober and abstinent at the same time this time. But abstinence is just like such a miracle. And I tried to go to OA earlier in my life, but that called the gray sheet and calling somebody with my food? God, no, never. But so with the miracle of apps, I send screenshots of my food. I have a little app that I put it all in. And when I first started my abstinence, I also, part of it was that I wouldn't get on the scales more than once a week. And now I get on the scales, you know, pretty rarely because that's, you know, part of the behaviors for me. Anyway, I'm jumping all over the place. I'm sorry. But, so, where was I? (laughs) I was going to say something. I can't remember what it was now. Oh, my God. Let's see if I can get it back. Um, Was it about one of the times I lost weight? Mm, I don't know. Let's. Um, oh my God, I hate it when I lose my train of thought. So, um, well, let's just launch back in there. So I, I tried everything, and um, including OA, and had a really hard time coming to it. And and it's it's interesting that yesterday was my natal birthday because uh, I'm also an astrologer. I'm a Cancer. I always get depressed the whole time the sun is in Cancer. I hate my birthday. And, um, it's the time of year where I look at my life and I'm like, oh my God, you're so pathetic. You've done everything wrong. You've made so many mistakes. You know, it's that time. So it's no, it's no mistake that I ended up getting sober and absent on August 2nd, because that's about how long it took for it to brew and, you know, for me to be ready to give stuff up. And so when I got abstinent, um... So I don't remember like a specific instance, but I just remember very firmly saying in my mind that I know what I was trying. I was talking about the secrecy of OA. It's more secrecy than AA. and, And it's more invested in that when I lose weight, then my life will begin. You know, and I always say this, too, but when you get older, it's easier to let go of that, you guys, because if you lose more weight, you just get more wrinkles and loose skin. Okay? So it helps to get rid of that ideal of I'll lose weight, I'll get a boyfriend, my whole life will be great, you know. But that's such a part of this disease. That's such a part of it for me. And the secrecy is such a part of it. And the secrecy is why I send my food to my sponsor every night. And I still lie sometimes. I still lie sometimes. I still, you know, I'll eat something else and maybe I'll tell her, maybe I won't, right? Um, So what I was going to say was the difference between this and AA, like um, if I had a glass of champagne, I would restart my sobriety. But I have had eaten, like, foods that are under my abstinence, like, I would say about four occasions in the last six years. Now, that's not a lot. That's what I mean. I'm pretty rigid. I'm not like a slipshod person. And if I'd like gone into a binge or something, I would have restarted it. But I didn't restart it because of those times that happen. And that's. That's a difference. That's another difference with this disease, that part of the sanity around it can be letting go of that rather than restarting your abstinence, which many people will tell you if they were on the gray sheet for years and restarted their abstinence multiple times. I've heard that story from many people. So um, I've been particularly blessed in this program with the sponsors that I've had. I've had a much harder time with sponsors in AA, although I have a fantastic one right now. But um so the very first one I got, um, I had to go through a couple of people because of my food plan. But then I got someone who was, she was like a vegan, right? And I'm like paleo. But we worked out my abstinence. And she was so loving and so, but very kind of strict, too. Um And... She was with me for about two years, and then she had stopped coming to OA and didn't tell me for a few months, so I, I fired her and moved on, and I felt really bad about that, and I, I didn't do it in the best way either, because it's really hard. It's hard when you get fired as a sponsor, too, because, you know, you get really attached to people, but that's part of the program. You know, we have a program, we have a structure, we have the traditions that protect us from ourselves and from others and give us a way to do this, that we can continue to do it, right? Principles before personalities. So that was my first one. And then my second away sponsor was also very wonderful. And she's the one that I had the times that I had a slip. And she was just a really loving, you know, and told me to let go of it. And then my current sponsor, who I love, I got last year when my super year of trauma started, I ran a nonprofit agency for about 10 years, and I got a bed board, <laughs> and they turned on me, and just, it was it was, like, all kinds of stuff, but it, it culminated with a coup at this, like, major event I do where I work day and night for, like, three days in a row, and then they got me in this room, <laughs> you know, particularly one of them I thought was my friends, who it was a betrayal too. Anyway, it was, like, very, very traumatic for me. Now, I will say, I am one of those people that won't get out of a bad situation until I'm kicked out by the universe. So, you know, I knew I should have gotten out of that nonprofit a long time ago, but it was not pleasant the way it happened. And almost immediately after that, my son, now I told you, youngest of the big family, okay, I had sexual abuse, and I don't talk to pretty much anybody in my family. And the sister, she's... Like the hardcore bulimic, she lives off in Texas in a compound with dogs and doesn't talk to anybody. She's still bulimic, so she's got to have brain damage at this point in her life from it and lots of other problems. And she's a hoarder. So um to come from that giant family and then have no one. So I'm divorced. So All I have is my son. So my son stopped talking to me last year. <laughs> so it was just horrible. It was horrible because... Also because I felt like we had this wonderful close relationship. And he stopped talking to me for, like, a month. Five minutes, Ainsley. Five minutes. And um, it was very hard for me because people really react to that. I had to be really careful who I shared it with because, like, if people had broken off with their child or people had broken off with their parent, they really project it. So that's when I got a new sponsor because I needed more attention. And my new sponsor was just really amazing. She was just amazing and really helped me through it. And um, of all things, because uh, I went for this walk with my son yesterday, and of all things, my, my current hairdresser, because she's a mom, helped me send the text to him that he first started talking to me again. <laughs> you got to love hairdressers, you guys. Um, that's how people outside of the program can help you, too. But um, so I just finished working my 12-step with my current sponsor, and I just cried. I just have so much gratitude, um, particularly the fourth step that I worked. I mean, it was just very fruitful, and I could really see my patterns, you know, and I could um, own a lot of stuff from what had happened with the board and with this thing with my son more so than I feel I've ever done before. So just having just a tons of gratitude, um, for the program and for the way that it, it holds me, because I'm a pretty, um, I'm a very fragile, sensitive person from my childhood. You know, when you have something like sexual abuse like that from multiple people, it it, it breaks you in a way. You know, but there's that wonderful is it the Japanese thing where they glue it back together, <laughs> and it's prettier anyway. So the program helped glue me back together. And, and it holds me together, you know. And um, I get up and I pray, even though, you know, my conception of higher power is a whole other thing. And then I meditate for 20 minutes every morning. And it really is my favorite time of day because my brain jumps off and starts off. And it's like, nope, you don't have to do anything you don't have to be anything you don't have to get anywhere you don't have to try to be better or worse all you have to do is sit here and breathe for 20 minutes it's fantastic and at the end even if your brain was like you feel like you're taking drugs i love it and then recently i've also started writing um Running pages, which is three full pages longhand, you guys. So it's like, oh, another thing. So I get up at 5 a.m. So I'm incredibly busy for a person who's like unemployed. It's <laughs> <laughs> staying at home alone. But thank God for the program. We are so lucky in this pandemic, you guys. Can you imagine the people who don't have 12 step programs in Zoom? I just can't imagine. Poor things. But we are the chosen. We are the lucky ones. Oh, my God, there's still two more minutes. What can I say in these last two minutes? Um, I particularly love this meeting. And another thing, I just want to bring up again principles before personalities, because I am one of these people who always thinks that nobody likes me. And when I first started going to the kitchen sink, I was just like, God, they're also standoffish except for Michael Blanc who always comes up and says hello to everybody. <laughs> and John, who was always so sweet. <laughs> um, and I quit going to the meeting because I decided they weren't friendly. And eventually I came back and they took a service position. Key there. Take a service position because it makes you feel part of. It makes you show up. You gotta show up because you have a service position. You feel part of the meeting. And guess what? You forget about me, 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 I, 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 because you're helping somebody else. And for the same reason, I do outreach calls, even though lots of times nobody calls me back. Um, but I do it because it's important. It's important to connect. It's important for me. It's important for them. And at least I'm not thinking about me while I'm looking up the phone number and dialing it, right? So that's uh, my plug for service, and I'm waiting for it to turn to 9.30 on my computer. It says 9.29, 9:20. or I can end like half a minute early, you guys. Thank you. This is the time for questions only. There is no sharing at this meeting. If you need to share, please do so with any one of us after the meeting. Also, please remember that the opinions of the leader are my own and not those of Overeaters Anonymous as a whole. When asking questions, you need not identify yourself. Um, If you have a question, please click the raise your hand icon, and Vincent, the secretary, will call on you. You can then unmute yourself and ask your questions. Thank you, Ainsley. Michael Blank, do you have a question? Yes, please. Thank you, Eansley, and happy birthday to you. Thank you. So, the trauma that you uh, went through as, as a kid, uh, the trauma that happens in everyday life when your, your son wasn't talking to you, so on and so forth. How do you get close to your higher power, or how, how could you think about how did that? How can you justify a higher power when suffering that kind of stuff? I always get angry when that happens. Thanks, Michael. That's a great question. Um, So, like I said, I was Catholic. I was, like, super Catholic. You know, we went to Catholic school, and they kept having these stories of the saints. So I was particularly fond of St. Bernadette. And uh she, a, a spring appeared out of, like, a rock or something, and she saw the Virgin Mary. So I built this little trough. I had this statue of the Virgin Mary sitting in the trough of water, and I prayed to it. So I got really pissed off. <laughs> When she didn't stop the the sexual abuse, then I started praying to – um I, I read a lot, and I really – I've always loved Emily Bronte. I ended up doing my – when I got my Ph.D., I did my dissertation on Emily Bronte and Emily Dickinson. So I used to pray to Heathcliff from Wuthering Heights. <laughs> Badass, taking revenge, big, dark, strong. Yes, yeah, so I prayed to Heathcliff. I had a little um stuffed um, – he was like a panther with these spots, and one of my brothers broke his neck, too. And I called him Heathcliff, and it was after Heathcliff and Weathering Heights. It wasn't after, you know, the little uh, toy character or whatever. Anyway, um, so as a child, um, I was really angry and just was kind of like praying for vengeance. And um, as an adult, um, I very much I turned to the program. Turning to fellows and also to pretty much anybody else who would listen. (laughs) That's the hairdresser. But doesn't everybody talk to their hairdresser? You know, it's, like, better than talking to your therapist, especially if they're really nice like mine. Um, But I just – I had to constantly work through it. I had to write about it. I had to – I mean – um, I get up and pray. That's why I'm I'm really really happy that I started doing these morning pages again, Michael. Because, I mean, I have a PhD in philosophy and religion. Clearly, I am somewhat concerned with the idea of a higher power. And I did my my dissertation on um, towards a feminist cosmology. And basically, I looked at the poetry of Emily Dickinson and Emily Bronte because they were both the daughters of like preachers in uh, a very kind of masculine male-dominated society. So they really had to kind of come up with their own conception of God in order to be able to create. Otherwise, in the universe they were in, women weren't allowed to create. So um, I very much identified um, in their poetry when they write about the creative force, and that's very much how I think of my higher power. And lo and behold... I got in a resentment with my AA home group. I ended up in another Zoom meeting. I got a new sponsor. I ended up in a little sponsor group that actually had somebody in it who'd written a book on creativity and higher power. I then read her memoir and found out that she wrote that book when she entered AA. Mm-hmm. That's where the concept of the higher power came. That's where the concept of writing these three pages every morning came. And that's where I'm like, oh my God, you know, I got to go back to my roots because I went through years where I wrote a lot of poetry. I, have you know, written and self published several novels and um, I wanted to be a Jungian analyst and I'd let go of like all my dreams, you know? And so to reconnect with that and to that's, That's, you know, reconnecting to my concept of God. But it's very much, it's very much showing up at meetings because I'm just like such a rebellious contrarian. I don't really like people. When I get in a meeting and somebody shares how they screwed something up or they're depressed or they're angry, it just perks me right up because I identify. And then I can see myself. And that's the only way I can see myself or if I'm writing. So. I hope that answers your question. Thank you. Nancy? My My name is Nancy Beacham, and I am a compulsive overeater. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Um, I'm wondering about the influence that Alcoholics Anonymous had on you. But also, you talked quite a bit about relapse. And I'm of the belief, after being here 44 years, that relapse is really not a part of the program. It's a choice. That's just my belief, and I'm wondering, what are you doing now? Uh, Principles, concepts, steps, what are you doing now? It bothers me so much that there's hardly anybody that has a lot of time in this program. When you get to over 10 years, hardly anybody stands up. So what are you doing now to help yourself to stay here? Great question. Thank you so much. So um, I do a lot of stuff. Like I said, I get up at 5 a.m. The first thing I do before I get out of bed is pray. I say a compilation from Upon Awakening from the big book. And I say the third step prayer. And I say the seventh step prayer. And if the four horsemen from the apocalypse are around my bed, I say the serenity prayer a few times. It just depends on, like, what the day's like. And then I meditate. And, you know, it tells us in the 11th step, thought, thought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God. And I never took that seriously in any of the times before. And uh, I take it very seriously now. And like I said, well, part, it's easy because it's the, my, my favorite part of the day. Um, and I have an app. And it shows how many days I have in a row. So I'm not going to miss a day, man. <laughs> That's wraps come in handy. Um, and uh, I'm very much a person, I mean, I'm an anal person anyway. I'm the kind of person that has to do something every day or like I'll just stop. If any of you have ever read Faulkner, The Sound and the Fury, there's the guy that they turn the rag the wagon the wrong way and his whole world falls apart and he starts screaming, that's me. You know, or the kid where they need the, the bedtime story read to them like four times. That's me. Because, like, kids don't know that they're going to wake up in the morning. And I have a little bit of that from my childhood because I couldn't trust my mother. I couldn't trust my father. I couldn't trust God. I didn't feel safe. So uh, I have a little bit of that. So all of the things I do help me with that. So I go to meetings, I have commitments at my meetings, then I have to show up at my meetings, and I feel part of the meetings, and I'm being of service. And I have a sponsee, I have a sponsor, I call my sponsor several times a week, I send her my food every day, and I also, I've always had trouble with the 10th step, I've tried like the AEIOU, I've tried traditional from the Big Book, but what I do with my sponsor is... I write gratitudes, and it's also, it's like gratitudes, and it's also like what you've gotten done that day, because like if you did four loads of laundry, you could put that on there too, (laughs) Um, and she sends me hers, and I copy my sponsee on mine, and my sponsee sends me hers, and I love that, along with our food, and that's just, it's wonderful, it's just so wonderful to do that, and I love that she sends me hers, too, and she's like, whoa, that woman has a great abstinence, just to say. Um, so that helps, and um, I really do I, – I, I write a menu for the week. And partly I do that because I'm single and I don't want to throw food away. So I write a menu for the week. I also do that because I vary what I eat so that I'm not eating the same thing all the time. And um, But I send my food at the end of the day because even though for the most part I stick to that menu, and that was very scary for me, by the way, because I was a compulsive overeater that would write out a new diet, put it on the fridge, and then binge. So it was very um touchy for me to be able to do an app, And I weigh and measure by the gram and to do my menu. And I put it on my fridge, too. But I don't put it on my fridge and go out and binge. I put it on my fridge, and I pretty much eat that. So I put my food in, in, in this app. And that also helps because, you know, you can just add meals because you do eat the same thing a lot. And you can put recipes in there so I know exactly how much I'm getting. And uh, I sent it to my sponsor at the end of the day so that if I decided to, like, switch one day's food with the other or something happened, I'm not, like, I didn't do it, like, wrong. Because that's really important, too. It, it, you know, people just get so much shame from not doing it perfectly. You know, and perfectionism can be such a big part of this disease. So I do that, and I, I was doing three outreach calls. I dropped down to one because so many people weren't calling me back. It probably has to do with the pandemic. Who knows? Maybe they just don't like me. I always go with that one. Um, but I do, and whenever anybody calls me, I always call them back. And uh, I do ask people, like, if they call me, they text first because I get so many robocalls. So if somebody leaves me a message, and then I'll put them in my phone so that if they call back or if I call them, I'll see that it's not a robocall. And, um, um, I, I try not to be as bitchy and mean and horrible a person as I often am. You know, I get really angry when I go out on the street and, um, I've been blessed with a parking space all through the pandemic because somebody's trapped in New York. Thank you, God. But one day I will have to go back to parking on the street again. And there's like a homeless guy who lives on my street who has like six cars who he's the homeless valet. He's always in the car, so he moves him around. So it's really hard to find a parking space on, you know, street cleaning days. And, um, so like if somebody parks between two spaces, it's all I can do to stop myself from keying their cars, which would be a bad idea because there are gang members in this neighborhood, but it's that kind of thing, you know, getting like so enraged about that or my poor neighbors who are not noisy neighbors, but you know, parquet floors, every time they move, it squeak, 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 you know, it's like, or going for a walk and nobody's wearing a mask, you know, and I'm like, die, motherfuckers, die, I've got to let go of that. That's not loving. That's not being in the program. But, you know, that's me. So it's progress, not perfection. And it is worrying. I do hear you. I do hear you. You know, it's worrying when somebody says they're abstinent and they're like 100 pounds of weight or something. You know, it's really hard not to get judgy in this program, but it, it's really five important. Minutes. Huh? Is that it? No oh, more? Five okay. I, that's All enough right. for that question, though. Yeah. Thank you so much. All right. Uh, Julie V. Hey, Julie, we kind of cannot hear you. Can you try again? Oh, did I freeze up? Um, you are muted. Oh. Could you talk uh, more about your approach to sponsoring? Oh, okay. Thanks, Julie. That's a great question. I have not had the best luck with sponsoring. <laughs> I have a wonderful sponsor now, and it seems to be going well. Yay. Um, so I've been sponsored Differently, you know, like my first sponsor in OA, I would call her once a week and we would talk for like an hour. And my current sponsor, I started off calling her like five days a week and I think we're down to like two or three times a week now because of stuff that came up. Um, and, and then I meet her in person or zoom now when we do the steps and, and we work the steps, you know, differently, um, than I have with other sponsors. But um, so um, I had one sponsee for about two years, and she never really defined her abstinence. And she also worked, like, um, one of those jobs that was, like, in the middle of the night, so she had a hard time. I kept, because to me, it's, like, like really, and, you know, and this is people sponsor very differently in this program, too. You know, I mean, some people they don't care if the person is somebody making noise. Maybe you need to mute again, Vincent, and then just yeah, unmute, them, and then I can unmute me and Julie. No, it should be um, it should be muted now, so You can continue. Okay, great. Um, so um, but it's it's kind. Of, I sort of have to sponsor the way I sponsor the way I'm sponsored and the way I work my program is what I found. So I have a very clear definition of abstinence and I send my food every day. So I'm looking for that in a sponsee, but I had this sponsee for like two years and she, we, the way we worked it is we, um, we read the big book. We'd meet in person and we read the big book through like page by page. Uh, but she never really came up with a, um, an abstinence and she, um, never lost you know, her weight she was trying to lose, and so um, she finally, after two years, she sent me her food, and it was like beer and pizza for breakfast, and I I just said beer and pizza for breakfast, and then she fired me, you know, so um, that was, oh, it was so hard, I felt so bad, because I was, like, so attached to her, but, you know, yeah, she was just taking care of herself, Um, and so... And since then, like, if I if I get a new sponsee, I tell them, you know, let's try it, and this is how I sponsor. But many people sponsor different ways, like, just, like, people have different abstinences. And if you don't want to define an abstinence, well, maybe find, like, a different sponsor. Or if you don't want to send your food every day, find somebody that doesn't want that. So that's part of it. So after her, I had another sponsee who was doing quite well, um... But then we got to step four and it fell apart. And then I had a, I had a sponsee in Louisiana before my mom died. I used to go back to Louisiana and, you know, because I have a 60 pound weight loss and they, somebody wanted me to be their food sponsor. So I won't just be a food sponsor after this had happened because I don't know. It feels like, like you're kind of degraded. You're not a real sponsor. That's just how I took it. Okay. But she had, uh, she started restricting. And I, I, I told her you can't do that and then she went out on a binge and then she blamed it on me <laughs> because I required a food plan. So, uh, that was that one. And, and then the other one. And so now I have a new one. We're on step three. Seems to be going well. She's sending me her food every day and uh, the whole gratitude thing. So yeah, I just, I mean, you can only do your best and, and, um, that's all you can do your experience, strength, and hope, you don't really have control over it. And it's always an interesting question. Julie, I always ask people because it's like, I don't know what works. (laughs) Time's up, Ainsley. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thanks, everybody.